Father, we thank you once again, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to, Lord, just to love you, to worship you, to lift our hearts to you. And tonight as we uh, just move from the place of worshiping you in music, we want to worship you in your word. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. God, what a, what a great letter to study and think about and, and, Lord, apply to the situations that we're going through, the circumstances that we're in. And, God, I pray that you would, Lord, that you would move mightily in our midst. So we give you this time. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we go through Philippians, uh, you know, the interesting thing to me, the book of Philippians can, can create a lot of, I think, controversy, because it's got a lot of paradoxes. You gotta deal with certain things, and especially if you're like really hung up in certain uh, theological camps and you're, you're really hung a certain way, Philippians is gonna drive you nuts. And I love that God does that. I love he makes it to where we can't just be comfortable and decide you know, where we're at in different things. Last, last time we looked at the paradox of Jesus being fully God and fully man. How does that happen? I always like to say it's 100% God, 100% man, and people go, dude, that ends up to 200%. I can add. I get that. But listen, man, it's just one of those paradoxes, and now tonight we're gonna hit another one dealing with our salvation, and I kind of like it. I kind of I like those things that push us and, and kind of like make us stop and think about, hey, what do I believe? I remember when I went to the Bible college, a director told us, hey, if your theology doesn't line up with scripture, change your theology. And I've tried to live by that. I've tried to make that something that I hang on to and I think about. I have been called a Calvinist. I've been called a compromiser. I've been called, one guy even called me a biblicist. I thought that was the best. Like he goes, I am so mad at you. You're just, you're just, you're just, you're just a biblicist. And I go, well, that's kind of cool. That's good. But listen, man, hey, we cannot, listen, we cannot let our theology dictate what scripture's saying. We gotta let scripture dictate what our theology is. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes it gets really hard. This section we're looking at tonight, man, there has been fights and arguments and church splits because it's kind of funny on what he says after the part that people get all uptight about. But man, there's been a lot of stuff going down. And I gotta be honest, I kinda like chuckle. If you get so hung up in a place that you can't move, then you're in trouble. So Paul has told us so far in this, in this chapter, he's told us, hey, we need to consider others better than ourselves. We need, to, we need to consider others first. Then he talked about the whole paradox of Jesus leaving heaven, coming, putting on the form of man, the fact that he humbled himself. And then if you remember, we talked last time, then he was super exalted into that position where every knee is gonna bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So he's brought all of that. Now I think it kind of comes almost full circle and he's telling us, because all of that's true, this is what should be happening in your life. You need to understand that. Because verse 12 starts with, therefore, right? And when a therefore is there, you gotta ask what the therefore is there for. What is he doing? He's drawing a conclusion, I think, from, the, from verse one of chapter two, and he's bringing it all together, and he's saying, hey, if all of that is true, 
then this is what your life, this is how it should affect you. And he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have already obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, uh, in you both to do, or both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Man, listen, he starts out here, and I love the idea, listen, he starts out, he kind of butters them up, right? He says, my beloved. He's letting the Philippian church know, man, he loves them. But there's something going on in this church. It's interesting, there's nothing outward that he brings up, but you kind of get the idea there's just like this undercurrent, this undertow of things that just aren't quite coming to a head. So Paul's trying to, I, th I think as he writes this, he's trying to hit everything he can think of. So as he writes them, he says, listen, you're my beloved, and then notice what he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, or not my presence only, but now much more in my absence. As believers, we should be obeying the Lord. That should be something that is just natural. Number one, it always cracks me up when people call him Lord and then don't want to do what he says, like Peter, right? Doesn't it crack you up when Peter says, no, Lord? I'm thinking, that doesn't go together, bro. You can't say no and Lord. You can say no, but you, and you can say Lord, but you can't say no, Lord. And it cracks me up. But, but listen, man, here's what he's saying. You guys are obedient Guys, you're obedient. The church is obedient. It's faithful. This church in Philippi wanted to walk with the Lord, wanted to do things. And Paul understands that, and Paul knows that. But it seems like, again, there's something going on and something they weren't quite getting a hold of. So he says, listen, man, I know you obey, not only when I'm there, right? Because I think, you know, I think, I think if we're all honest, like if Paul showed up, we would have a little bit different attitude, Right? We'd fake it if we had to. And especially if Jesus showed up, right? If Jesus showed up, we're all gonna be really holy. You know, the minute he's... <gasps> so listen, here's what Paul's saying. You guys are great in my presence, but I love it too. He says, and you're also great in my absence. That's a good thing. Now he says this controversial thing that blows some people's minds. He says, hey, I know that. And then he says, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, man, the gloves come off. People want to fight. People want to argue. And they go, you can't, you just ignore verse 12. Go to verse 13 because we don't want to talk about verse 12. Well, verse 12 is there, and guess what? Verse 12 comes before verse 13. And he tells us something, and I think part of it is sometimes we don't read careful. He doesn't say, listen, he doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't say even like work up on your salvation. Or he doesn't even say, listen, work on your salvation. What does he say? Work out your salvation. Something's already happened to you. Now, listen, now you have a responsibility. This is that whole idea of man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. Hey, you're saved by grace. You're going to heaven. But you're supposed to be in this world right now. You're supposed to be exercising this thing that we call salvation. You know, we talk about sanctification. Listen, sanctification is one thing justification when jesus died on the cross i accepted him i'm justified i get that 
but I also have this sanctification that I have to work out while I'm here. I got to walk it. I got to live it. I got to exercise it. And then, hey, I, when I get glorified, woo, then I don't even have to think about it, right? Sin is gone. But listen what he's saying to us. Listen right now. Work out your salvation. And I know some people are like, you can't say that. That doesn't go together. That's not right. You know, we're saved, and they want to argue and argue and argue. And I kind of love the idea that, listen to what he says, work out your own salvation. A lot of us hear something like this, and here's the first thing we do. You know, so-and-so really should be here tonight. He doesn't say, listen, he doesn't say work on somebody or work out there. you got to work out your own. I love that. Now, I was reading one commentary, and, and I did do some research on the, 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 the uh, I can't even think of the word, on, on some of the Greek words and their, not their gender, but their, uh, whether they were plural or single, singular, and it's interesting because one person's saying this is talking to the church at whole, not to individuals. I think there's a point that that's right. And, uh, you know, the verbs are plural, the nouns are plural. And so there's some point to that. But I also think we have an individual responsibility. So here's what I think. We have a corporate responsibility as the body of Christ to be working out our salvation, to let the world know. So the world walks in here. They know that this is a Bible, Christ-believing church that we're going to follow Jesus. I think that's important. But I think it's even more important that you and I work out our own salvation as we walk with the Lord. I don't think you should be the same this year as you were last year. You should be changing. You shouldn't get in a place where, hey, I'm in a Christian and I'm in Christian mode and I'm just like coasting along. No, man, there should be challenges in your life. There should be difficulties. You should be reading your Bible and questionings. Hey, I read that a year ago, and it didn't say the same thing. How come it changed? Because we changed, right? And so listen, man, he's, he's challenging this church, and, and he's telling them, here's what you need to do this, and you need to be working on it. And here's the interesting thing. The word for working is like mining. Now, I get that because I worked in the mines in Bisbee. So, so I get that, especially, especially if you worked underground in Bisbee. When you worked underground, they were meticulous about getting every bit of that ore, sucking it all out. Listen, when you do an open pit thing, you're just like <laughs> taking everything. When you're underground, you're following that vein of ore, and you're making sure you're meticulous about getting it. Does it kind of now make sense? He's saying we need to be meticulous about our salvation. We need to be people who we are very careful about our salvation. Now, here's the part that many kind of balk at. Well, they balk at that, but then, then this last part, with fear and trembling, people go, oh, I don't have to be afraid of God. No, you don't. But you need to be afraid of the consequences of sin. You need to be a little bit uptight. We need to be people who we understand sin is damaging. Even, listen, you can be forgiven, you can be clean, but there's still collateral damage. And we need to understand that. And he says, listen, man, you need to have that. And that fear, I think, that way. And also the respect. You need to have respect for God. I think we're kind of losing that. We need to understand God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a perfect God. And when we sin, we offend that God. 
and we need to know that. I, I, I was reading somebody the other day, and they're going, nobody just talks about that anymore. They just don't bring up that we offend a holy God. He's righteous, and we offend him. He says, hey, you need to work out your salvation with that fear, and trembling means trembling. You need to be a little bit concerned about it. So are you kind of getting the idea, hey, we're saved by grace through faith, but listen, saving faith is never alone. There's something that goes with it. We have a responsibility to, to act on what God has done. Now, for those of you who are mad at me, now we're gonna jump over on the other side of the bank. Check this out. I love this, man. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Oh, you see, I don't have to be somebody that I have all of this, and I'm gonna get this done, and I'm gonna make it happen. He says, you need to work out your salvation. Why? For it is God who works in you. This whole idea of working out your salvation comes from within, not from without. We don't make, hey, we don't have a, a, you know, a time clock. Yep, got my Christian stuff done. That's what religious people do, right? Religious people, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, religious Christians, they just punch your time clock and they're good. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about we need to allow God to work in our lives, to change us, to motivate us, to push us, and we need to be people who we're listening to him and we're obedient. You know, my prayer every morning is, God, give me your heart for the people I come in contact with today because my heart's not too cool. I want your heart, God. I want to understand. That's working out your salvation because it is God who works in you. And here's what, here's what I love. Even Paul, like how good he explains it. He says, listen, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Listen, the whole idea of both to will is God changing the desires of your heart. If you're a believer today, hopefully your desires are way different than they were last year and hopefully way different than when you were a heathen and you know walking in the world. He changes, but here's what blows my mind. He gives us desires that some of us thought we would never have. Even as believers, as, as we begin to mature and as we begin to work out our salvation, all of a sudden, God puts something in your heart and you're going, where on earth did that come from? I've shared with you guys before, in high school, I was the world's worst student. I felt, you know, I, I think sometimes I should go find my teachers and just apologize. <laughs> but most of them wouldn't even remember me because I didn't show up for class. So it really kind of just doesn't even really matter. But then when God saved me and gave me this heart to study, that blows my mind. I mean, to this day, I even, even today as I was sitting and reading and, and doing some research, and then I start, and then I get off on rabbit trails and I start, you know, going after something and, and uh, looking at it. And I think, in high school, you wouldn't have caught me dead reading a book. I bought book reports. If you're a high schooler, do not listen right now. And I did some crazy things. And when I went to Bible college, I'll never forget the first day of Bible college. Maybe it was the second day. First day we kind of did intros. And then, and then they started introducing the classes. And I'll never forget they introduced one class. I thought I was just going to go read the Bible together. I guess I thought more Bible camp than Bible college. 
key word, college. And, and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to study the book of Romans. You're going to write, you know, a couple, you know, four-page papers. My hand went up. Uh, I don't know how to write a paper. I'll never forget the director said, did you graduate from high school? <laughs> I said, yeah, I have a degree. A degree. I have a diploma. <laughs> I had a degree at the time, too, but that was fake. But no, <laughs> I said, no, I have a diploma. And he said, and you don't know how to write a paper. I said, I don't have a clue how to write a paper. How did you graduate from high school? Now, it wasn't just Bisbee. I know some of you are thinking, oh, it's Bisbee. No. I bought my papers. I had a good job. I made ways to do it. And so here's what I'm thinking. You're in Bible college. It wouldn't be cool to buy papers, right? That would be like, that's not the place you want to do that. And I'll never forget the other students came around. Young, they were all younger. I was older. They called me dad. And they all got together and they helped me learn how to outline, learn how to do it. They go, dad, we got to help you out, man. You are a mess. And listen, listen. God changed that in me. Are you understanding? Both to do or to, to, to do his will or for his will. And not only does he energize you or not only does he give you that desire, he energizes you to do that. God is the one who works in you. It always bothers me. And I've brought it up a couple times lately. It bothers me when people say, well, I get, you know, I get ministry burnout. If you're getting ministry burnout, listen to my heart. You're in the wrong ministry. You're not in a ministry God created you for. You're doing something, in, or you're doing ministry in your own strength. I don't think you get ministry burnout if God is the one working in you and through you. I think you, Paul was like the energizer bunny, wasn't he? He was insane. And I think that's what happened. So listen carefully. He says, hey, you got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Now listen. For his good pleasure. God does all of that, not so that you can be, woo, look what I did. It's for his pleasure. So God can look at you and go, woo, look what I did. <laughs> and people go, and the angels go, oh, I was betting against it, man. I didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> right? It's for his pleasure. And when you get this idea, so think about, think about what he's saying. Don't get so uptight. Listen, I do think we need to work out our salvation. Not work on, not work for, not work, you know, up. I think we need to work uh, out our salvation. Let it come out of us and let it begin to prosper and grow because it's him. God wants to do that in us. I believe, listen, I believe God wants us in heaven more than we want to get there. But I also believe he wants to use us more than we want to be used. He wants to change the world through us and let us be part of that. So now he lays that out. And, and listen, if you're still arguing in your head and you go, that oh, doesn't line up with my theology, change your theology. Listen to what the Bible says. Both are true. We have a responsibility and God is working. And how do those two totally work together? I don't know. And I don't have to know. I just have to trust God. Now I think he gets into something sticky. He says, verse 14, because here's where I think the undertow was. Look at verse 14. We, we kind of dealt with, right? We're all okay with the theology part. We're all good with that. And those of you who aren't, just get over it. Because look at verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. 
<laughs> we can do some things without complaining and disputing. We can do a lot of things without complaining and disputing. But can we do all things without complaining and disputing? Can we be people that we're not grumbling, we're not moaning? Listen, I think, I think one of the biggest damaging things to the church of Jesus Christ are Christians who just want to complain and argue and be bitter and be angry. I don't care what it's over. It's just damaging. I think it's fine to have questions. I think it's fine to talk to one another. And that's not what he's talking about. Evidently, evidently, listen, evidently, there were some people, they're just like complaining and disputing. Every time I think about this, I think of Moses in the wilderness, right? And those people just, it even drove Moses to hit the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock, cost Moses going into the promised land because he lost it. And then my favorite part is when God says, you know what, Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm just going to kill them all. And we'll start over with you. How many of us would take God up on that? Good idea, God. Start with me. You do good. But what does Moses do? God, you can't do that, man. That won't look good for you. I know they're hard. I know they're difficult people. I know they're tough to deal with. I know all they do is. But you know what, man? If you kill them in the desert, everybody's going to say there's no way you could get them from point A to point B. So you better do that. I love that. That's my paraphrase. But who was the first complainer in the Bible? Do you remember who the very first one was? Adam. Remember what Adam said? It's the woman you gave me. <laughs> very first complainer. And we need to be careful. Listen, if we can't learn from Adam and we can't learn from the children of Israel and all of that in the church, why are we complaining and arguing, why are we bringing that in? When, listen, man, he's saying, do all things without doing that. We need to put it in our hearts. If we have a problem, there's nothing wrong with talking about problems. But when we're just complaining and bickering and, and doing stuff, I think especially, I always bring it up, when you're doing it in a parking lot, you're never gonna solve anything. You're just gonna do it in a parking lot and be mad. You're just gonna go home mad. And then you're going to come back and you're still going to be mad. Then you're going to do it in the parking lot again and you're going to be madder. Don't do that. Talk. Talk. Have conversations. So listen, man, we, did, we, you and I, and when we're serving the Lord, what do we have to complain about? We're serving the king of the universe. How cool is that? I love being able to tell people, they'll say, who's your boss? My boss is the king of the universe. And we all should be able to say that, shouldn't we? He is my boss. What do I have to complain about? Oh, do things get difficult? Hey, are we hard to deal with each other? Absolutely. But you know what? We work through it. We do it. And we don't complain. We don't dispute. We're not argumentative about it. We serve God. Listen to what he says because this is important. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Like, I like that part. 
I don't think he's talking about, listen carefully, he's not talking about being blameless and harmless before God. He's talking about being blameless and harmless to the world out there. Do you know what the world thinks of us when we're... Here's what they say, you're no different than anybody else. What are you guys, just a club? Shouldn't we be blameless and harmless to the world? Shouldn't we have that example to those who are watching us, those who are looking at us, those who we tell are Christians? And by the way, I think you should tell everybody you're a believer. I think the first thing you should do when you, when you get a new job is, I love Jesus, and then everybody knows. And some of us don't do that because here's what we know. The world is gonna hold you more accountable more, more often than the church does. You ever have the world rebuke you? That's fun. I thought you were a Christian. I am. Not right now, but I am. <laughs> right? So listen, man. We need to do all things without, without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. Wow. I love to think about that. I love to think that I am a child of God. I belong to him. He died for me. And then he says, listen, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Oh, if those guys were living in a crooked and perverse generation, I think, listen, I think we can make it through our generation. And he says, you need to do those things. Why? The world is watching us. And that's why I say, listen, as believers, when we're complaining and we're disputing and we're arguing and we're bickering and we have look like we got baptized in lemon juice and we're walking around like that, we are doing more damage to the church than some heretic. And we need to understand that. We need to be people, hey, we are influencing our world. I want to influence our world for good. I don't want people saying, man, don't go to that Calvary Chapel. You know what those guys do, man? They just like argue and fight all the time. All they want to do is just argue with each other. All they want to do, man, they complain to one another. I was sitting by a guy there one day, and he just and then I went, and then I don't even know what the guy taught on up front because we're in the back. Not you guys. Be careful. Be careful. Shouldn't we desire for the world to look at us and see Jesus? Oh, and then he says one more thing. Listen, I love this. Man, Paul is so good with words. He says, man, listen. He says, you want to be without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Oh. Do you guys know the stars are always out there? Do you know that? It's not like in the daytime they go away. Why don't we see them in the daytime? Because they look like they're surrounding. Why do we see them at night? Well, why do we see them at night? Because they're opposite of their surrounding. Think about that. Think about what Paul's saying. Listen to what he's saying. You can be light in this world. What does that mean? The only way the world is going to see light is for me not to be dark not to be part of the world and part of the darkness. I need to be the opposite. We see the stars when it's opposite of what's really going on. And here's the great thing. Do the stars have their own light? They're reflecting the glory of the sun. 
think about. Think about what Paul's saying. I get so excited when, when I read this part because you and I have the opportunity and the privilege to shine in this world so people can see Jesus and not even, listen, wouldn't it be great if they could just never even know us? All they know is Jesus. Man, that guy walks with Jesus. Or that lady, man, she's so in love with Jesus. I can't believe the things that are going on in her life. And Paul says that's what should be going on rather than... Let's be light to the world. It's interesting. Look up Daniel chapter 12. Not right now. Write it down. Look it up tonight. Because Daniel kind of brings up the same thing. And we're to be light. So Paul, now are you kind of getting the idea a little bit? Maybe something's going on in this church. That's not a big, listen, I don't think they have a big theological hoopla going on. I think theologically they're probably all on the same page. I think they're doing pretty good. I think they got a little undertow of And it's interesting if you go back to the very introduction, he says to the saints at Philippi and the bishops and the deacons. Hmm. He usually doesn't do that together. Why? Because I think the bishops and the deacons, the overseers, I don't think they're doing their job. And I think there's a little bit of like, listen, I don't think they're on the verge of a church split. I think they're just not being light to the world. I think they're like fighting a little bit, arguing a little bit, bickering a little bit. Well, I did read ahead. I know two ladies are. But listen, man, it's going on. So he says, hey, he says, do that and be lights in the world. Check it out, verse 16. Hold fast to the word of life. Oh, how can I keep from bickering and arguing and doing that? How can I become light to the world? Holding fast to the word of life. What is he talking about? Holding fast to scripture, right? To what we've been given. We have the word of God. Do you know how blessed we are? Do you know there's, even today, there's places where they don't have the scripture. They would give anything to be able to hold the Bible. And they're not allowed to in their country. They're not even allowed to possess one. You and I, most of us have many translations. We have them on our phone. We have them on our, you know, we got Bibles everywhere, right? But are you holding on to it? Think about what he's saying. Are you holding on to the word of life? When life gets hard, when things don't seem to go the way we think they should go, are you hanging on to God's word, his promises, what he says? My circumstances, my life may not be reflective of what's in the word, but I know the word's true and I don't have to trust my life. I have to trust the word. And hold on, I, I love that idea. Hold on. He says, hey, hey Corinthians. I think he's talking to the Philippians. Hey, you guys, hold on to that word of life. And he's pushing them in a direction. He's encouraging them in a direction. And then he says, listen, in completing verse 16, he says, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Woo, here's what Paul says, man. I want you guys to do this because I don't want to think everything I did there was for nothing. Isn't that what he's saying? And I love the idea he's bringing up rejoice. He's going to bring up joy in the next couple verses quite a bit. But here's what Paul's saying. I want to rejoice. I don't want to be the guy who's 
I'm upset, I'm angry, or, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed in what you're doing. I want to have joy, and I want to understand my work there was not in vain, was not for any, nothing. But notice when he says, when is it all going to be proven in the day of Christ? That's not the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is when Jesus comes for his church. And when Jesus comes from his church, if you're a believer, when Jesus comes, you're going to get raptured couple of you are excited, the rest of you maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> now, let's, let's think about that for a moment, because here's what Paul says. I, I read what Paul says, and Paul says, man, I, I want to rejoice in the day of the Lord. I don't want to think that I've run in vain or labored in vain. If Jesus comes, like in the next 10 minutes, is it going to be good for you? Well, you're in church. <laughs> Doesn't count. Most of you are even sort of acting spiritual. Do you, want, do you want Jesus to come when you're in the midst of a sin? Wouldn't that be a drag? Some of you go, I don't sin. Well, now you are sinning, and he's going <laughs> to. But, I mean, if, I think about that all the time. I don't want to disappoint. Listen, I don't want to disappoint my brothers and sisters around me with my actions. I don't want them to think what they've done in my life and poured into my life that it's been for nothing, for vain. But greater than that, man, I don't want Jesus showing up and me going, I didn't think you were coming right now. I want to go, yes. And he says, man, listen, I don't want the day of Christ, I don't want to have run in vain or labored in vain. And what's interesting about that is Paul is still kind of using some metaphors, but doesn't it sound like Paul looks at his ministry as work? Yeah. He's not complaining about it, but he looks at it that way. Why? Because ministry is work. I don't care what kind of ministry you're doing. It's work, and you got to pour into it. So then, listen, now he's going to kind of wrap this up, and he says, yes. Like, I don't want to run in vain or labor in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And what on earth is he talking about? I read this, and here's what I know. The church of Philippi was mostly Gentile. Why is he bringing up a drink offering? A drink offering, that's Jewish, right? If you've read your Bibles, and you've read in Numbers specifically, they talk about the drink offering being poured out. And Paul's bringing that up. Now, I did a little bit of research, and evidently some of the pagan religions around there kind of did the same thing. But let's think about it for a moment. The drink offering was poured on the main offering. You had the main offering that was burning, and you poured the drink offering on it. When you poured the drink offering on the main offering, what would you see? Steam. Kind of wouldn't see anything. You just you see it vaporized, right? Do you hear what Paul's saying? The main offering is our lives in Christ. He's just the steam around that. Don't you like that? I'm being poured out on the sacrifice. I'm being poured out on that. Now, also, I think Paul's telling us his time is near. He's going to die, and he knows that. So here's what he's saying. Guys, come on, man. Do, do verses 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, so that, yes, in verse 17, 
I'm being poured out in that, that offering and the service of your faith. And he says, listen, I want to be glad and rejoice with you all. Paul wants to see them change radically. He wants it to be different in their lives. He doesn't want them to be the group that he left years ago. He wants them different. And he says, I want to rejoice and be glad. There's two things about some joy, huh? You get the idea that this guy, this guy didn't let his circumstances bother him. Remember where he's at? He's in jail. And from those words, it sounds like he's pretty sure he's about to be executed. He knows that his life is short. He knows that time, time is out. And he goes, man, I just want to be glad and I want to have joy for what? For your faith. For your faith what? Go back to verse 12. Being worked out. Being demonstrated to the world that God can change people. Aren't you glad God can change people? I am. I look in the mirror and I'm super glad. Not so much about you guys, but I am for me. <laughs> and listen, man, he says, that's what's going on. And now, listen, he's not done. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. There's four times in two verses, Paul is talking about being glad and having joy. Are you getting the idea that this Christian life should be about being glad and having joy? Not glad that the world brings. That's just a silly, emotional, happy thing. And you can do that. He's talking about the joy that Jesus gives you from knowing him, from serving him, from walking with him. So listen, man, as I read this, here's the thing. I finish that. I go back to verse 12, and here's what I say. Man, I am going to work out my salvation. I am going to do that. Because here's what I know, man. I don't have to strive. I don't have to, I don't have to try and beef up. I don't have to go to the gym. You know, it's funny. Somebody I read said, you know, this is all about the gym. It's not about the gym. This is about trusting Jesus. And I'm going to work out my salvation because why? He's going to work in me. He's going to change my desires. You and I need to think about our lives and how God changes us so radically year by year by year that he takes things out of our life that, that you know, well, some of us, some of us didn't even know they were in our life and now they're gone out of our life. But it's sort of like peeling an onion. Guess what, man? We've got this walk we have to do and here's what Paul's talking about. Progressive sanctification, not progressive Christianity, we don't like that, progressive sanctification. That we grow in our sanctification. It's like peeling an onion. And you know what, man, the older you get in the Lord, you all of a sudden start realizing the things that we like to call little sins are really big. And we begin to understand that. Hey, it's easy for some of this stuff to drop off. It just drops off like crazy and then God starts peeling the onion. And you start working out your salvation. And you're getting rid of this in your life. And you're getting rid of that in your life. And it's because God is working in you and changing you. Does it blow your mind the things that you kind of long after now compared to what you used to long after? The things that you really want to get involved in compared to what you used to want to get involved in? That's what he's talking about. And then here's what I love. In the end here he says, it's all about joy. It's all about being delivered. It's all about being changed by the Spirit of God working in our lives. So I don't want you to leave here tonight thinking, man, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do this. 
If that's your attitude, you're going to fail miserably, and then you're going to be mad at me next week. And as a matter of fact, you're going to grumble and complain, and you're going to complain, I can't believe that Pat said that, man. I'm not doing it, and it ain't working in my life, and I don't like him. That's okay. Let God work in you. Let him change you. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. And how you, God, how you challenge us. And what a good thing it is, is we can stop and read and maybe even, Lord, maybe even mess with our theology a little bit. Where we have to stop and kind of back up and look at things and and begin to understand what you're saying. And some of us, we really even need to stop and change our theology. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's called growing. That's called working out our salvation. That's called being men and women who are maturing in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work here in this fellowship that Paul is is calling out this fellowship in Philippi on. And I know that Listen, if a fellowship is going to change, the only way it's going to change is by us as believers changing one heart at a time that we begin to give up things in our lives and allow you to change us and to give us new desires, new dreams, new goals, and to empower us to do those. Thank you for your word, God. And I'm gonna encourage you to stay in an attitude of prayer and if you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man, maybe somebody invited you, maybe a friend brought you, maybe a relative brought you, that's a good thing. If you're here tonight and you don't have that relationship, man, you're in a safe place, you're in a good place. Because tonight, tonight that can change for you. Maybe you just dropped in. Maybe you're backslidden. And you're here in church and tonight God is speaking to you. If God is calling you to himself and hey, you know that. You know in your heart right now. Right now you're just even a little bit disturbed because you know God is, is working on you. Then my Bible says here's what you need to do. You need to call on the name of the Lord. You need to come to that place where you let Jesus know that you know that you're a sinner. That's the biggest step. You've got to admit that to God. And then you need to be sorry for your sin. You need to be a person who you understand your sin has offended a holy God. That's bad news. The good news is Jesus came and took the penalty. The wages you owe for that sin is death, separation from God. You can't pay that, but Jesus did. And now he holds out to you that ticket paid in full. And all you have to do is say, yes, I want that for my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a relationship with the king of the universe. If that's a cry of your heart, Say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silent. But you gotta be sincere. If you're at home watching, you can say it right where you're at. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you will be saved.
if you're here tonight standing and God is speaking to you, whether you've never given your life to him or whether you're backslidden, say this prayer with us and God will hear you. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.